You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I remember my senior day, emotional, walking out, and I saw a picture of Coach Osborne and I when I was coming out of the tunnel. It means a lot to me. So talked a bunch about these seniors. It's a, it's a great group. I feel bad this season hasn't gone better for them. But at the same time, these are going to be some of the guys that the foundation for what we're going to do going forward is built on. And I think they know that and can feel it. And I'm going to be sorry to see a bunch of them go. You kind of got to stop and look at it and realize, you know, Coach Frost said today we got 11 games or 11 days left of the season, um, which is crazy. Kind of talking to some of their seniors, you know, we're all we're all uh, talking about how it's kind of a bittersweet moment. You know, we get a we get a big opportunity this weekend. Yet it's the last time we get to play in the stadium. So just kind of trying to take take it uh, through a different perspective, I guess. Take a step back and uh, kind of enjoy it. They've been so great to me and all the rest of the underclassmen and really the rest of this team. And I want them to be known that they they laid the foundation for what we're about to become. We've had tons of ups and downs this year, and they've been our rock throughout it all. So they deserve the world, you know, and we're, we're trying to give it to them these last couple games. And welcome here to this edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, as we get you ready for Saturday's Nebraska-Michigan State game. Another 11 a.m. kickoff, Nebraska's seventh of the year, Iowa next week will be the Huskers' 8th 11 a.m. game. So it's been kind of an adjustment, but I think Nebraska's used to it, guys. I mean, I think uh, these early games uh, have, have not really been a problem. It's kind of when Nebraska practices, but it, the story is senior day. Nebraska will have 19 seniors, and of this group of 19, you've had 13 of the 19 have three different head coaches at Nebraska over their career. So a lot of adversity kind of when you just think about this senior class, Robin, and, and, and what this group has been through. Well, not even the head coaches. I mean, look at the guys on the defense. I mean, they're playing for their third defensive coordinator. Look at the guys in the secondary. So they're playing for their fourth or even fifth defensive backs coach in their career. So, uh, Wouldn't it be their fourth defensive coordinator? Uh, Papuchas, Banker, yeah. Diaco. Yeah. And obviously now uh, with Shenander, so five, uh, four defensive coordinators in five years. Wow. Yeah. So in, even more. I mean, uh, so yeah, adversity is the overwhelming uh, term for their careers here at Nebraska. But, um, you know, uh, this year obviously wasn't what anyone wanted it to be. But, uh, and every year you, you hear guys talk about how important the seniors were and how they want to send them out right. But I think this particular situation, um, that holds truer than ever. Uh, you talk about a group that, um, you know, went through so much change and, um, you know, uh, different messages and different schemes and all that stuff. And by the time they've reached their final seasons, they're having to do it again. But they fully bought in from day one. And, you know, as a bunch of players in the open said, they were the guys that set the tone uh, from the day Scott Frost and his staff took over. And a lot of times in these coaching changes, you know, that that's the seniors are the hardest guys to get to buy in. You know, they, they've already been through it and done it, and they don't need to listen to anybody else, um, you know, especially with just one more year left. But um, from, from start to finish of those 19, all those seniors were leading the way and getting those young guys to hold themselves accountable from the very first winter conditioning workout uh, through every practice through fall camp and on through the season um, not only doing things in the football realm the right way but going to class making sure your grades were up um, going to meetings being on time uh, just the level of accountability these seniors have helped instill in this program speaks as much volume about what their what their value has been to this program and um, really what their lasting legacy is going to be in the grand scheme of the Scott Frost era. Well, yeah, with as prevalent as the transfers are these days, I mean, 
you you know that this group of seniors they really love Nebraska because there's no other reason why they would have stuck you know stuck it out for as long as they have through as much turmoil as they've had to go through if, if they didn't love Nebraska and uh, and I think that's why they why they helped make the transition so easy on this coaching staff is because. Um, they were they were eager for for a positive change. They were eager to try and uh, to go out on on a positive note, and and I think that um, I think that they are. You know, despite the record, I think each and every one of these seniors know that they're kind of leaving the program uh, better than than where it was a, a year ago, and they feel good about the direction of things, and and they feel like they're going to be able to kind of hand that torch to to this next group and, and kind of let them run with it and, and take it to another level. I think, guys, when you look at this class, too, it's going to really be defined by the, the in-state leadership within it between Gerald Foster, Luke Gifford, Mick Stoltenberg. I mean, those three core guys, fifth-year kids, and they, when we, we've seen them all the way back when they were at the Rivals camp when, when they were in high school. So we feel like we've known these guys. They're at that same camp. Monte Harrison, this, this should have been his senior day if he would have redshirted, too. <laughs> he was in that same recruiting class with those guys. But uh, then you have Stanley Morgan, um, another guy um, that when you look at what this day is about and Divino Zigbo, what he's overcome. Um, I mean, it's a small class um, in, in the grand scheme of it at 19, and that, that includes the walk-ons in that 19. Um, but I, I think it, it's a pretty impactful group of 19 guys. Um, when you look at it, there's just three walk-ons left. There's 16 scholarship seniors, three walk-on guys left. Um, Austin Rose, Matt Jarzinka, um, are two of the guys not on scholarship. And there's one other one I'm trying to remember who it would be. But Rhymers? Uh, no, Rhymers got a scholarship. Oh, yeah, that's right, that's right. Um, so it's it's very, very small group of guys not on scholarship right now. But um, these guys have been through the battle um, to get to this point. And um, I, I, the thoughts of a 5-7 and seven bowl game, that's kind of out the window as well right now. Yeah, it's a smaller group, you know, with, with 19 compared to some previous classes. But the impact they've had on this season – um, you know, I mean, there, there's some pretty pivotal players. I mean, I talked about all the things they've done off the field, but on the field, I mean, Stanley Morgan coming back for his senior year when he had uh, an opportunity to pursue an early jump to the NFL and Divina Zigbo. I mean, I think all of us kind of just assumed he was going to be the odd man out. And yet he's, I did. We yeah, all did. I, I'm pretty sure I said it on did this podcast. Did he make podcast. our top four? Was he, was he even in our top 40 going in? I mean, if I not, even the so. back end of it, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I don't recall, but yeah, if he was, he was he was probably on the back end. And so, just for him to stick with it and completely change his career over the span of less than a year, to where he's not only an All Big Ten potential candidate, he's going to have a chance at the NFL with the way he's been make playing. a little money. Yeah, I mean, it's it's he he kind of exemplifies everything that Scott Frost wanted this program to be about and you know the, the buy-in factor the the you know basically doing all the things necessary to make yourself a better person and a better player and these are the results you get and so you know they're going to point to define a Zigbo this offseason and say look what he did you know look look what Stanley Morgan he was a great player and he took his game to the next level to where potentially he could be the all-time leading receiver in school history so I mean they've got a lot of examples in the senior class of what happens when you fully commit yourself to what we're doing uh do things the right way uh the results that can come with it well and having that tangible evidence is is huge for the guys that are on campus 
uh, maybe for some for some younger guys that are that are redshirting, and you know that's always a, a difficult deal for a lot of guys to handle. And it's huge for recruiting too to to be able to to kind of point to some things and say, you know what, we we didn't have the record we wanted this year, but look at what look at the changes uh, that the strides that we've made, and 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 be able to point to some some tangible evidence for some guys. And I mean, to me, another thing with this with this group of seniors um, and, and a handful of guys have kind of mentioned it lately. I think it was DiCaprio Boodle that. that said it earlier this week is uh, when guys like Mick Stoltenberg talk and, and uh, Luke Gifford or, or whoever, um, I mean, th- their words carry a lot of weight with, with this team. And, and uh, I think that's another thing that, um, you know, th- as, as they kind of move along, I, I, th- I feel like they've kind of helped – I don't know. I don't want to use the word or the term "restore the order," but I mean they've they've kind of helped kind of uh, set the set the stage for for a resurrection uh, of a program that that's been down for for far too long, in my opinion. Yeah, Bo Cottrell was the other. Bo Cottrell. That's our on. that's our third. We, we got to yeah. make sure we give our Ashland and props guy. to a guy like that. I mean, they <laughs> eliminated his position from yeah. the team. And, and and he, and he stuck around for his his final year, and he might actually be on. Does he tra- he travels regularly? Doesn't he, Bocatrell? Mm, I don't think so. Okay, he was a special teams guy or had a chance, I think, at one point. But um, yeah, he's he's a kid that you know we know his dad. I know his dad Barry Rule. I've known his dad for years. A former Ashland Greenwood head coach, former Husker player himself. But a uh, great group of guys. All nineteen have had an impact on this program, and it should be a. Special moment for Scott Frost. I'm sure his first of many senior days here as Nebraska's head coach. We come back, we're going to delve more into this matchup. Nebraska, Michigan State, we'll get you caught up and talk offensive storylines, including the health status of J.D. Spielman and Maurice Washington. That's all next here on this week's edition of the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Uh, he's been limited. He's been limited. So, uh, you know, he's day to day. We'll see what he can do. The good thing about JD is he knows the offense in and out. So he doesn't need a whole lot of practice time uh, to stay sharp. So we'll make sure that he's healthy and uh, we'll just see. You know, Mo obviously has been a little dinged up, but he'll, he's had a good week of practice, you know, so we, we want to keep our one-two punch. Now, if something happens in the game and, and we need to adjust, then, you know, we'll be smart in that. But, you know, we're only promised two more games. So, you know, Devine's got senior day on Saturday, you know, so he'll be ready to go. If he has to go the, the distance, he will. Hopefully we can keep our one-two punch going. But Mo's had a good uh, three days. I guess today's Wednesday, right? A good three days up to this point. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus as injury updates there on wide receiver J.D. Spielman from uh, Troy Walters and then Maurice Washington from running backs coach Ryan Held. This segment of the Husker Online Show brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill. Five locations, uh, four in Omaha, one here in Lincoln. Get on into Tanner's before, after uh, all of the college football action uh, this week. They'll also have the Husker game on at 11 o'clock as Nebraska plays Michigan State. But let's get to that, guys. I mean, how significant do you think this injury situation is with J.D. Spielman? He pulled himself out of that game in about the third quarter last week. We didn't see him again. I know he's practiced this week, but how limited has he practiced? That's the question. Yeah, and uh, it sounds like they're being really careful with him too. Uh, so it's an injury that is an issue. I think it's just a matter of how big of an issue it's going to be on Saturday. And so they're you're being very cautious with how much they work him. Uh, and as Troy Walter said, he's a type of player that doesn't necessarily need to practice a whole lot, uh, given how much experience you know he has in this offense. Um, so, I mean, they're going to probably monitor him all the way up until before kickoff on Saturday. And I, I would expect him 
to play. It's just a matter of how much. But uh, it's certainly disappointing. You know, with two games left, you know, talk about all that. Talk about Stanley Morgan chasing records. JD's right behind him. Um, you know, he's got 66 catches, which are just nine behind Marlon Lucky's all-time school single-season record uh, with 75 in 2000. And I thought that was an untouchable record. I, I really, know. I thought. I mean, Marlon Lucky earned. It was like check down city that oh, year. I know. The Sam Keller, Marlon Lucky connection. Uh, anyway, and so he's also 182 yards from, you know, also eclipsing 1,000 yards. So he would obviously benefit to play in this game. And Nebraska needs him. He's one of the most dynamic playmakers. But, um, you know, you got to certainly be careful if the guy's not 100% to risk any further setbacks. Yeah, I, I'd expect J.D. To, to at least give it a go and, and be able to play. But the question is how effective will he be? Because uh, anytime you're talking about a foot injury, whether it's ankle or, or whatever the specific injury is, I mean, we don't think we know exactly. But when you're talking about a foot injury for a guy who who makes a living off being able to to you know be an explosive player, change direction, that type of deal, uh, I mean, that's it's going to limit their their effectiveness. So um, you know, we'll see exactly you know what he's able to do or, or how effective he's going to going to be this coming weekend. And that's a big deal because the secondary is the weak spot of Michigan State's defense and the teams that have really struggled to run the ball like Northwestern um, had a lot of success throwing the ball on Michigan State and for Nebraska just not having JD it's so much easier to defend because you could pretty much double cover Stanley Morgan this entire game at that point if JD's not out there you could have a corner and a safety on him at all times and that's probably going to be the case a lot of times but that's where the mobility of Martinez needs to factor in Nebraska needs to keep that extra man accounted for Martinez so then the receivers have more one-on-one or single-high um, type situations where if they're too high, it's going to be a lot harder for a guy like Stanley Morgan to get very many open looks. Yeah, J.D. is really important to this offense for a couple of reasons. One, when they line him up in the slot against a defense like Michigan State's, you know, there's probably some similarities to Wisconsin a little bit where they're not going to, you know, go much out of their base package. And so you're probably going to potentially get some linebacker on JD opportunities that you would love to exploit kind of like they did against Wisconsin. And so you want him there for that. Um, But two, I mean, he's, you know, he's probably the most dynamic playmaker, not only on offense, but in special teams. I mean, he's, he's their guy that um, kind of changed uh, the return game a a little bit. Well, even Maurice Washington being limited. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, he can give kind of some of that wild horse mentality on the kick return. So there's some, there's some field position issues with both those guys. And so, I mean, uh, I, I I agree with Nate. I think he's going to play, but it's just a matter of how much they can get that ankle close to 100% to where he can be his normal self. Yeah, the, that's going to be the the big question. And, uh, and you you mentioned Maurice. I mean, he's he's another guy that uh, you you want to talk about dynamic playmakers in this offense. And uh, you you hope that um, you know for Nebraska's sake that you don't take one of those guys out of the out of the mix, especially uh, with with Michigan State having the rush defense that they do. You you want to have as many horses in the stable as possible. And if you take Maurice out of the out of the equation. Um, you know, I don't know really who you turn to if it's a, the Wyatt Mazur uh, and, and Divino Zigbo combo, or, or or if they just ride Divine all the way. Uh, on, on yeah, Saturday. to me, it just seems like this is a game where you say, "Hey, senior, it's your day. We're going to give you 25 today. You better be ready for it." And it's going to be another cold day, probably back to back the coldest stretch of games Memorial Stadium's had in a number of years. Long time. I know they said it was the coldest kickoff temperature, but there's been games before last Saturday that had a colder feel. I mean, the Iowa State 97 game 
was a colder feel. I mean, I, I can remember a lot of people leaving at halftime. It was just so frigid that day in the stadium. And the Iowa game in 15, um, the temperature, it, it got colder as it got darker out. So um, I, I know Saturday they said it was the coldest, but it, it didn't really have the feel maybe that you thought it was going to have because the wind wasn't as bad. So it's going to be interesting how it is this Saturday. Um, will it be as cold? Will it feel colder? And, and will that affect anything? Well, last week was far and away the coldest game Adrian Martinez has ever played in, and he looked okay. So if it's a little bit colder, I don't think that's going to be necessarily a problem. Uh, again, the issue is going to be the wind. And if it is windier and there's that, you know, stiff gusts that can knock down passes. The stadium protects it, though. Yeah, it's, it does. And, and to his credit, there was a couple throws he made where he played the wind perfectly. That touchdown to Stanley Morgan, uh, we hit him down the seam. It looked like he almost like threw it high, knowing the ball was going to die, throwing into the wind, and it just fell right into Stanley in stride. And I've so, never seen very many quarterbacks I at Nebraska do that. I've seen an 18-year-old kid I mean, that, that ball, Fresno, California. It looked like it was going to be overthrown by 10 yards, and then it just dived right down to Stanley's so, hands. I'm not necessarily worried about him, but – uh, going back just to kind of the offensive attack, yeah, you want to have a power run game with a Zigbo, but I think Adrian's ability as a runner is going to be maybe the biggest X factor of all. Uh, Michigan State hasn't really played a true – Trace McSorley. Yeah, probably is the only dual threat guy that they've faced this year. And, um, you know, with the weapons uh, that Martinez has around him, especially if J.D. plays, that makes a very difficult test – for what is considered one of the best defenses in the Big Ten. So I don't know if Nebraska necessarily wants to just go strength for strength and run between the tackles against um, the best part of Michigan State. It's a defense. lot of deception, yep. a lot of, a lot of you motions. Get, you want to get Adrian on the move. Um, don't let him just sit in the pocket and get hit uh, and you know utilize that mobility. So I would expect him to be um, a more significant part of the run game, even more than he has been, uh, just because of that factor. Well, from talking with the coaching staff too, this is a defense that, that doesn't get real exotic. They, I mean, they line up and and they're going to go toe to toe with you. And uh, there's not a lot of window dressing uh, on up front. They don't try to uh, disguise a whole lot. It's it, I think Greg Austin described it as trench warfare up front. Uh, you know, O line versus D line. And and so yeah, I think that I'm interested uh, to see what kind of wrinkles the the offense is going to put in. You know, we saw a couple of things against Illinois, you know, that, that one of Divino Zigbo's um, touchdown runs was where the they had the offensive lineman pulling the opposite direction that Divine went. Uh, I mean, they stress the defense in so many different ways. I, I'm kind of interested to see exactly what Frost and Walters and everybody else on that offensive side of the football kind of roll out this weekend. Yeah, Frost, if we've learned one thing this season, he can draw up a play now. I mean, he can draw up a play with the best of them to get defenses off balance and Adrian Martinez, I think, has a real opportunity uh, to, to cause some damage in this game. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk Nebraska's defense and then the challenges they face. They missed 15 tackles last week against Illinois. How will they get that improved this week against Michigan State? We'll discuss that next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I mean, like, like Coach said, these are two good teams we about to face these next two weeks. But if we execute at a high level and we play football, I mean, we can we can easily we can, we can beat them as well as or just put up a fight and just play a good game. But we plan on winning both, so they're both good teams. So we just got to execute and just make sure we got there, fight for four quarters. They're they're like a another Big Ten team. They want to run the ball. They're a hard nosed football team. They want to be tough. We're going to be tough, and it's going to be a good matchup. Forecast says it's going to be cold and windy, so probably get packed in and run the football and and try to do what they probably are really good at and being physical and running the football. So that's what we kind of expect right now. 
going to be an ugly day here in Lincoln. Hi, Sean Callahan. Welcome back here to the Husker Online Show as we get you ready for Saturday's Nebraska-Michigan game, Michigan State game at 11 a.m. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus, as you heard uh, from Lamar Jackson, Khalil Davis, and Eric Shenander, just what Nebraska is expecting to see from this uh, Michigan State offense that's really had its, its, its issues. I mean, they have not put up a lot of points. They haven't put up a lot of yards. They've got quarterback questions. Uh, Lewecki or Lorecki? Lewecki. Yeah. Lewecki. Lewerke. I've been saying it wrong all week. I got Nate throwing um, Lewerke, you know, it's kind of a, a controversial deal. He's their veteran quarterback from a year ago. He's been battling injury, not playing very well. Um, but I think there's probably some internal political pressure to keep playing him. Even though Rocky Lombardi, the redshirt freshman out of uh, West Des Moines Valley, has played really well, and they've kind of gone back and forth. They're playing multiple quarterbacks. I'll have a Wildcat guy. Um, my, my read is, and then L.J. Scott is out for the year. He's going to redshirt, I think, and come back next year um, with, with an injury. So they, they've got a lot of issues with this Michigan State offense. I think for Nebraska – uh, they've got issues on defense. So, you know, which lesser unit is going to show up today is going to be one of the bigger storylines. Yeah, I think Michigan State's offense is probably a bigger problem than Nebraska's defense is right now, especially with the way Nebraska's been turning the ball over. Yes, they're giving up yards. Yes, they're giving up points. But they're finally combating that with those game-changing turnovers, fumbles, interceptions that they weren't getting earlier in the year. And um, you know, if they're able to get one or two of those types of takeaways on Saturday, that could change the game you know, completely just because Michigan State doesn't have the firepower. Their quarterback situation is a disaster. Uh, you know, Lewerke's playing with a bum shoulder uh, that you know, caused that, that move to begin with, and then they pull Lombardi mid-game, and uh, Lewerke can't throw the ball downfield, and he doesn't have receivers that can stretch the field. Uh, and so basically, if they're not, you know, churning out – four yards at a time in the running game, they're really not moving the football. Um, they've tried to mix things up. Uh, their top running back is now being used as a wildcat quarterback that um, just to provide something. Uh, so I would expect to see that look a lot, especially if the conditions are unfavorable as they're expected to be. Um, so this really, I think, sets up well for Nebraska's defense to have statistically a really good game. But I still think that it's going to come down to can they – continue the takeaways. I mean, they've had 11 takeaways in their last three games. Uh, they had 12 all of last season. And so that, I mean, is it can be a huge X factor that could uh, turn this game from a, you know, a close kind of grinded out game into, you know, Nebraska pulling away. Yeah. Takeaways without question is the key to the game. And, um, and that, and it's, it's so important because your offense is, is playing at a pretty high level. If you can get the ball back, uh, to your offense, and, and they can score in a in their you know two two three four yard or because really play only pen drives. penalties turnovers are the only thing stopping Nebraska right mm -hmm. now on offense. I mean, if if they just play on schedule, they're they're almost unstoppable at this point. Yeah, I mean, how many drives have we seen that have taken like a minute, uh, you know, and just a handful of plays to to put points up on the board? So. Um, and Michigan State's offense is not uh, made to, to come back. So uh, it, it's all about turnovers, in my opinion. And these guys, they're, it's, it's clicking for them. I mean, that's something that they've been working on for so long, and now we're, we're finally starting to see it all come to, to come to fruition there. So I'm not worried about you know, a certain amount of yards that, that you can't give up on the ground or, or whatever, but uh, I think it all comes down to, to getting that ball out, whether it's making plays through the air or, or um, you know, stripping it out that like we've seen over the past few weeks uh, from the ball carriers. Well, depth is also an issue for Nebraska on defense this late in this season. They had five of their 11 guys um, 
Mo Berry, Luke Gifford, Dedrick Young, Lamar Jackson, and then DiCaprio Boodle play every snap. They played all 76 snaps last week. And I, I the rotation kind of keeps sizing itself down just because, you know, they're, they're, this team doesn't have a lot of major injuries, but they've got enough on defense where it's made a difference. Tyron Ferguson, uh, most notably at linebacker uh, being out, has, I think, been a big one. And then, then Will Honus, those two that happened this year, um, have limited Nebraska. And then, you know, DeAndre Thomas and Deshaun Neal out on the D-line has, has kind of affected that rotation. And then at corner, they just haven't had anybody. Eric Lee got a, a small opportunity, but they just don't have much faith in him out there. So DiCaprio and Lamar have to play every snap. And luckily, it's been colder out, so you're not seeing guys get as winded. But um, I think the real problems for Nebraska happen, Robin, when they wear down on defense. Yeah, and especially in a matchup like this where they're going to get some true – Big Ten power football. I mean, Michigan State, if there's one thing their offense does well, it's you know power the ball between the tackles. And so this is going to be a uh, – I think Greg Austin said, you know, it's from the offensive side, but I think it translates to the other side of the ball too. It's going to be a, a trench war where, you know, this game is going to be a, a battle at the line of scrimmage. And so that defensive line and those linebackers, they're going to have to play a lot and they're going to have to hold up uh, for four full quarters uh, if Nebraska is going to pull this out. But um, – credit to Nebraska's training staff, their strength and conditioning team for keeping this team so healthy. I mean, yes, they've had some injuries, but this is a team that's played 10 straight weeks of football. And for the grand scheme of things, they're they're pretty healthy. Uh, So, I mean, I think that's been a huge difference compared to previous seasons. That's allowed them to be in this position despite, you know, some unusual circumstances with the schedule. Well, especially when you want to compare it to previous years. I mean, by this time in the season, uh, for the last however many years, you, it's been it's been like a just a mash unit there of, of injuries. Uh, you know, it's a, whether it's soft tissue injuries or, or whatever, and we really haven't seen any of those yet. Um, and yeah, the the depth on that defensive side of the football is is limited, but I, I think it's mostly. It, not as much impacted by injuries as it is just lack of players, players <laughs> lack of playmakers on, on that side of the football. And when you're when you're into the the meat of your your conference play or, or the the very end of the conference play, I mean you can't afford to to put guys out there that are that aren't going to be able to make plays. Yeah, one of the things that um, Antonio Reed discussed about why this team's healthier is they they lift heavier during the season, and that's helped their body kind of withstand just some of the physical things they've had. And I also think it's kind of a mindset too, Robin. I, I just think your head co- coach and the culture of your program kind of sets the tone of guys kind of wussing out and whatnot. I mean, you heard stories in, on the Riley era. I'll, I'll, I won't name this player, but guys not showing up um, to practice Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then just showing up Thursday and, and wanting to start in a game. Yeah. And Sometimes uh, skipping their rehab. I mean, during the weeks, they weren't practicing, and then they weren't going to rehab. They were just staying at home and watching TV. Well, or they weren't lifting their full, mm-hmm. the Stuff. full program. So your, your body just is not going to withstand in, in, a, in a grown man league, as some would say. And, and I think uh, you've got to te- – not only Zach Duvall, but I think the nutrition aspect with Dave Ellis – uh, monitoring everything these kids are putting in their body has made a difference this year with this football team. Yeah, top to bottom. I mean, this staff has done an exceptional job of maximizing uh, the players that they've had on this roster. You know, obviously there's a lot of questions about, you know, the, the depth they had at positions, the overall talent they've had. But uh, I think with the coaching staff to the training staff to the medical people to the strength and conditioning guys, I mean, they've all done a great job of getting the most out of, you know, the, the roster that they were handed. And, and I think it, I've talked about it before with the, the mentality thing of 
the aspect of, of this team. I mean, this these guys are going into every game knowing that they can win that game, that they've got a shot to win it. They're not intimidated by anybody. Uh, I really feel like they've turned the corner in that respect too. So, uh, so that's another you know aspect of this game. I think that uh, probably goes in Nebraska's favor. All right, when we come back, we are going to take your questions in the mailbag. Husker Online intern Allie Snow is in studio, and uh, she'll go through your questions as we take them here on the show. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Uh, Yeah, we practice in the morning. I I suppose that helps us a little bit. Um, Guys are used to being out there between 8 and 9 and being ready to go and and practice. So uh, the the early kickoff certainly doesn't affect them from that standpoint. We kind of just roll the balls out there, put them through a quick stretch, and we're ready to play. Uh, So I've never been a morning person, so we started practicing in the morning. And even I've turned into one. So I think most of our team has at this point. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robert Washington, Nate Klaus, and Husker Online intern Allie Snow here joining us from the mailbag. And, guys, um, that was Scott Frost talking about just uh, the 11 a.m. kickoffs, but really not a big deal because of the morning schedule. And, heck, guys, we've all adjusted our lives um, to the morning schedule. It's been an adjustment for everybody, and I think for Nebraska's players, they've adjusted uh, just fine. And, um, you know, I, I think it's been something – uh, that, that's helped this team at times with all these 11 a.m. kicks. But let's get right to it, Allie. What do you have to start us out in the mailbag? Hey, guys. So the first question is, how much, if at all, have you guys seen the players' confidence, swagger, increase since the beginning of the year? Seems they finally developed some confidence in themselves and are learning how to win again. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is when the adversity hit the team, it, things didn't the bottom didn't drop off. I think things stayed the course, and that is so much easier said than done. We've seen here over the years when adversities hit, um, you know, the bottom falls out. And, and with this team, they just got stronger with the adversity, and I think that's made a difference. I just think Scott Frost's leadership as a, as a coach, and then the players are having fun. I mean, that's the other thing. The players, you can tell – thoroughly enjoy being out of practice every day and you know it's not a drag and, I, and so I I think everything about it is is as just kind of translated to the mentality yeah and you know the Polk debate you know going when through that 0-6 start was uh, you know does Nebraska need to have the level of confidence to win a game or do they need to win a game to act, develop that confidence and all those things Sean talked about, I think, are the reason why they've been able to have this late season success, that they did maintain belief. The coaching staff kept the, the team engaged uh, you know, and continued to build buy-in and belief that despite the record, uh, they were improving. They were getting better. And then when the, once those wins finally started coming, um, then you have you know, that, that, that tangible evidence that, yeah, you know, we're on the right track. And that confidence has grown with every one of those wins they've been getting. And right now, uh, this looks like a completely different team just with how they carry themselves and uh, what you see on the field from where they were a couple months ago. Well, yeah, I, I think that a, a lot of the confidence comes from the fact that the message has always remained the same from the coaching staff. There was no sense of panic when things were, were seemingly, you know, couldn't go Nebraska's way no matter what. I mean, uh, and, and it's those those things that I think that, that kind of allowed this team to, to fight back instead of just staying down when they, when they very easily could have done that. All right, the next one kind of pertains to this weekend's game. Will the Huskers rush for over 175 yards? I would say yes. I just think the nature of the offense with the QB that can run – 
because a big part of the rushing total in the college game is, is sack yardage gets deducted from that. So when you have a quarterback like Tanner Lee um, that took sacks, it was pretty hard to rush for 200 yards because you might have a loss of 30 or 40 yards on the rushing numbers where Adrian Martinez – when he's getting pressured, he tends to kind of fall forward and, and go for no gain or even get one, two, or three yards on a bad play. So I think Nebraska can rush for 175, and I think they will on Saturday. Well, this is a Michigan State defense that's allowing 75 yards on the ground per game, and so that would be quite the accomplishment for Nebraska to do that. Uh, and then remember, look, look what they did against Wisconsin. They hardly even tried to run the ball. I think the game plan is going to be different, but I do think Nebraska is going to try and – Go hit him through the air if the the wind and Spacing. the weather allows it. Yeah, and so I, I do think that they'll get over seventy five. I think they'll top Michigan. You don't think they'll average. get over one seventy five? One seventy five might be pushing it. I'm thinking more like in the one fifty range. Yeah, I think it all depends on what the game plan is. Um, you know, if the game plan is to to work the ground game, then I think I think they could get close to one seventy five. Or 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 Adrian Martinez might be what gets them over that mark. But if the game plan is to to spread them out and and to pick apart their secondary, then then I think that they'll probably be well under 175. Okay, moving on. This year's Bethune-Cookman game helped the Huskers stay sharp and give the starters a break. SEC teams regularly host a lower division team late in the season, which is almost their second bye week. Will the Big Ten ever adopt this scheduling style to catch up with the SEC? Well, the big difference remains nine conference games versus eight. And the SEC plays eight, the Big Ten plays nine. Um, so in, in that situation, no, um, because the SEC plays two of these kinds of games a year in a lot of cases. And um, I could see the big the Big Ten's already laxed or relaxed the rule about FCS games. Uh, Nebraska is going to play South Dakota State and North Dakota, not the Bison, but North Dakota five times in the 20s. Um, so they will get a game like that on their schedule. Um, but with a nine game league slate, it's pretty much next to impossible. Yeah. I mean, I, I think until one of those conferences changes their their conference scheduling so there's going to be that difference and it's going to be an advantage that the sec has over every other power conference in the country i think the networks will eventually force their hand they have to i mean it's it's ridiculous yeah, that it's... alabama is playing the citadel well look how game. bad the records are in the sec after the top two or three teams and imagine one more league game in that what that would do the records mm-hmm. i mean you'd have a, a lot of teams not going to bowl games and pe- teams want those four non-con games because then you can load up 4-0 and only have to win two of your conference games to go to a bowl game. And, it's a lot, a lot tougher to do. Yeah, so I don't know. The SEC, though, they're so stubborn that uh, I don't I don't foresee them changing until, like you said, until the money really Or the playoff it, committee. Or the playoff committee starts to, to ding the, the that conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, but from what we've seen from the playoff committee – they're not dinging the SEC very much. I'll tell you, it kind of grinds my gears though that the the entire league they always like take credit for like Alabama and Georgia. It's like, oh yeah, the other teams in the SEC, you guys have nothing to do with Alabama and Georgia. Those are the good teams. I mean, yeah, the rest of the other teams in that league. I mean, a lot of Big Ten teams would beat or play with no problem. But obviously, Alabama and Georgia are a different league or level. But you know, in SEC media days in the summer, you'll, you'll get you'll see teams. Oh, we're the best conference in America. Well, no, Alabama. Like, no, Alabama's the best team yeah. <laughs> you know and, and, the, and the rest of the league just kind of pumps their chest on that all right I digress let's uh, take your questions here in the mailbag what do you have Allie so which 2019 recruits do you see making an immediate impact next fall offensively and defensively 
Well, I think first and foremost, you have to point to the junior college guys, right? So uh, Diedrich Mills, the running back out of Garden City Community College, I think that he's a guy that's going to be able to come in and, and play right away and, and kind of step into Divino Zigbo's shoes uh, as he leaves the program. Uh, Desmond Bland, obviously, in, uh, along the offensive line, whether that's at center or guard, he's going to be an instant impact guy. Um, and Tony Fair is going to need to play right away there as a nose tackle. Uh, now, beyond those guys, I feel like a guy like Jamie Nance, uh, the wide receiver out of out of Oklahoma, uh, he's going to make a big impact next year, whether that's strictly as a special teams, as, as a return specialist, uh, or or as a wide receiver. He's, his speed is going to be very hard to keep off the football field uh, for Nebraska. Uh, so, I mean, those are a handful of guys that I think are, are pretty much no-brainers going into to next season. Nate, I'll throw a one sleeper out there, Garrett Nelson. Um, he is graduating high school early. He'll be going through the spring. And just the way he's wired, I could see him finding a way on the field, especially with how weak that outside linebacker position has been for Nebraska, assuming he stays at outside linebacker. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see exactly where he ends up. Uh, but that's one kid that I, th- I think you just you can't count out no matter what, just because of the way he's wired and how how hard of a worker he is. If nothing else, he's going to be a special teams demon as a freshman. All right, we got time for one more, Allie. What do you have? So this is a playoff question. If Michigan wins out, Notre Dame wins out, Clemson wins out, and Alabama loses to Georgia in the SEC championship game, who gets left out of the playoff? Oh man, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I honestly could see Alabama being left out at that point because of the 13th data point win uh, for Michigan. And Michigan has played a great schedule. It's hard to knock them for the schedule. Um, and in that situation, I think Alabama could be the odd man out um, in this in this year's because Notre Dame at undefeated and Clemson and undefeated, they're not getting left out. Um, so it would come down to – and then Georgia would get the spot for the SEC. Then you'd have a Michigan versus Alabama thing that I could see Alabama, Michigan winning that argument. See, I'm different. I think Alabama gets in no matter what. Uh, and then your Georgia, I see, you probably get two SEC Georgia teams. Georgia wouldn't get in. Georgia wins and they don't get yeah. in. <laughs> so I think you're going to have another two team SEC playoff with, with Clemson. And then it's going to be between Notre Dame and Michigan. And the fact that Notre Dame won that game head to head, and depending on what Michigan does, I mean, that how Michigan does, uh, it was probably dictate, you know, that matchup. I'd probably lean towards Notre Dame right now, though. Yeah, everyone loves Roll Tide. That uh, I, I just don't know. I don't. I don't see them not making it. Uh, you know, I, I just they would be. That would be one of the biggest shocks to me. Is if they've made if, it every year since it started. Yeah, I know. if if Alabama and Nick Saban led Alabama team doesn't make it in, especially uh, how with how everyone's talking about how this could be the best the best ever Alabama team. Best they, ever team. They get the yeah, eye, they get the eye test mulligan every year. They they their their eye test always gets them a mulligan on one game a year, and it hasn't happened yet. Now Auburn and Georgia are both going to be tough games for them down the stretch, and. Uh, Tawavaloa is hurt right now. He's got a knee injury that's kind of slowing him down. Um, Tua, right? Is that his first Tua. name? Tua um, is hurt right now, and, and that, that will be something to watch here um, down the stretch, especially with the Heisman Trophy thing kind of coming up here too because he's got a big lead right now, but if he's not healthy in these final three games and doesn't put up numbers, there could be some other guys that make some uh, move in the Heisman. But when we come back, we are going to close the show with some recruiting I asked Nate, what's up with junior college offensive tackles? It seems like that has slowed down for Nebraska. We'll get his thought on that thoughts on that in the big weekend next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. 
This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. You know, any school that we've had a relationship with, if there's a change, then obviously we have to evaluate and see what's going to be the best fit for us when it comes to junior college. With the junior college piece of it, uh, obviously having been in that, you know, we need school or schools that we can trust that if we put a kid in there, we're going to, you know, he's going to get graduated and we're going to get him back. It's kind of scratch your back, we scratch your back, they scratch ours type deal. Helping them out, they help us out. So. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Final segment here of the show as we talk recruiting. And that was running backs coach Ryan Helv, uh, Nate, just discussing. And he, he wouldn't, I don't know why, but he said he couldn't specifically talk about Jeff Sims and Garden City um, within the rules, which I, I didn't realize you couldn't do that. Um, but I uh, wanted news to me too. I, um, I get about prospects, one thing, but um, I wanted to get his thoughts on how Jeff Sims leaving Garden City affects Nebraska there going forward because. Um, they almost, I don't want to say went all in at Garden City, but that was the perception out there um, across the NJCAA uh, that Nebraska and Garden, did I get that right? Is it the NJCAA? I kind of like A. A. <laughs> I was like really slow played that one. A wrong. <laughs> but your thoughts on Jeff Sims and, and what that means, him leaving there? Well, I guarantee you that Nebraska didn't see this one coming. I, I think they probably felt like Jeff Sims would be at Garden City for, for a while. Um, and I know, I mean, the, the optics of it all definitely looks like Nebraska placed Dominic Watt there and they placed Willie Canty there. Um, and then he gave and, them Dedrick and, Mills. And they kind of delivered Dedrick Mills and or Dedrick Mills. And, and uh, you know, they're, they're kind of looking at a couple other guys from Garden City as well. So, um, but everyone has kind of denied that that took place. I know Jeff Sims has told me repeatedly that no, no. We, we've been recruiting those guys from day one. We we knew there was a chance they wouldn't qualify, and, and so that's how we were able to get them at Garden City. But the bottom line is Nebraska has very good relationship with, with uh, Jeff Sims, and now that he's leaving, I mean, that's you, you kind of wonder if they're regretting going that route when they could have maybe placed those guys you know, 60 miles down the road in, in Iowa Western. Because Scott Strohmeyer's not leaving. Yes, he's had opportunity. He's had opportunities to go to Iowa State and other places. And my thought, Jeff, I'm kind of surprised though he's going to a Division two job, Nate, at Missouri Southern. When I look at a guy like that, I'm like, God, if Kansas and Kansas State are both opening yep. and KU's open, and we assume K State's going to open with Bill Snyder, I mean, one of those two programs should hire him in a heartbeat as an assistant coach just because of his connections. Now, will all the other JUCOs in the Jayhawk League let Jeff Sims in their building to recruit? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. His, sure they will. I, I mean, mean they, his, want, they want they their need guys, to get their guys out of their program. But if I was KU or K-State, I would have hired him in a second on those staffs. That would have been no-brainer. So that, that will be something to follow. And I want to ask you this before we get to the visitor weekend. Nebraska, as far as junior college offensive tackles, the stance has kind of seemed to change, and, and it's hard to get – why? I mean, it looked like it was like a sure thing. Nebraska was going to take whether it was a Myron Cunningham or a, a Bam, uh, Bam. Olaseni, Keenan Walker. I mean, there were multiple JUCO tackles right now. None of them are coming in to Lincoln that are scheduled. And it feels like Nebraska's kind of pulled back the reins on that. Well, that and that has happened ever since Bryce Benhart officially committed to Nebraska. Um, I think Nebraska is still – they're still in the market for a JUCO offensive tackle, but it's not imperative that they get one now. I think that's that's probably the, the stance that they're taking is that if, if there's a guy available that's the right type of guy who's a December graduate that can come in, uh, then they will definitely go that route. But I think – they like Bryce Benhart so much and think so highly of him that that adding him to the mix kind of 
kind of soften the need uh, or, or lessen the, their need to bring in another JUCO offensive lineman in this class. Well, now, do you think they, they don't want to scare him too and be like, all right, we've already got three high schools and we're going to take another JUCO guy and have four tackles in one class. The optics of that doesn't look great on paper. Yeah, exactly. So, and, that, and that could very well be the, the case too because you're, you're returning both both your starters, uh, left and right tackle, in, in Farniok and, and Hymas. Uh, you have a, a handful of, of offensive tackles already committed to you. And so if you're Bryce Benhart, who, I mean, you have Matthew Anderson, offensive tackle, Michael Lynn, offensive tackle. Bryce Benhart is the third offensive tackle commit. Cam Jurgens has moved to the O-line. Yeah, Cam Jurgens has moved to, to the O-line. And then if Nebraska goes and gets a, another Juco offensive tackle, um, you know, maybe some of those guys are going, okay, wait a minute. You know, do I have an opportunity to to see the field uh, early on in my career or not here? So, uh, yeah, I don't know if it's an optics deal or, uh, but what I do know is that Nebraska loves Bryce Benhart, and and they love obviously they they like their other offensive tackles too. But Benhart was like their number one guy on the board, and so uh, ever since he committed, I think they've kind of softened their stance on on the absolute need to bring in a JUCO guy. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, All right, Nate? Let's talk recruiting weekend now. I, I know when the 11 a.m. game was announced at about 6:30 on Sunday morning. And I was up when I got the email. I already am like, oh, boy, there's going to be a mad, our, our, especially people on our site, Husker Online, about the recruiting weekend. But it doesn't seem like it's going to affect the recruiting weekend that much. Any, any JUCO guy that's coming in can make it. And then Nebraska, Nate, with these high school kids that are playing high, Friday night playoff games, Nebraska is perfectly fine with a kid getting to Lincoln in the second quarter or at halftime versus not at all. Um, to come in, and that's what it appears a lot of these guys are going to do. Yeah, so the large majority of the high school visitors are going to miss the first quarter or maybe even the first half of the game. Which is going to be cold and miserable. Um, yeah, which, yeah, it is it is going to be cold and miserable. So when you're talking about a couple of kids from Fort Lauderdale. Being on the up, sidelines at 930 in the morning. Yeah, you know, it might not be a bad thing. They'll, they'll still get a taste of what a game day atmosphere is like. Now, obviously, they'll miss the tunnel walk and all that. Uh, but they'll still get a taste of, of what the atmosphere is like. And, um, you know, and I think that's what it really comes down to is, is the coaching staff saying, okay, uh, for one, will we have another opportunity to get these guys on campus if we postpone their visit this weekend? And two, uh, this is our last opportunity to, to bring guys in for any game. So uh, does it make more sense to bring them in in December or January, or does it make more sense to at least let them get a feel for a game day um, you know, since this is the last one that we've got this year. So, and they're going that route. Uh, we know Ty Robinson, the four-star defensive end. And that's a big one. And, and with the turmoil huge. at USC with Clay Helton's future, um, them losing to Cal on Saturday in L.A., Clay Helton's future is in trouble, and that was kind of the perceived uh, real threat for Nebraska. Yeah, that's – USC and Alabama are, are the two teams to beat for, for Ty Robinson. Or I should say probably that USC and Alabama are trying to beat Nebraska because I do think Nebraska probably holds the edge right now, especially because of the connections he has to the state. And his mom's from O'Neill, right? mom's from O'Neill. They both went to Shatteron State College. His dad played football there. Um, and they come back to Nebraska on a regular basis. So, 
Uh, and he's been here now. I think this will be his third time in, in less than a year that he's visited Lincoln. So, uh, and when I talked with him earlier in the week, he he made it sound like absolutely no way am I missing my official visit to Nebraska this weekend. He was he's very adamant that he was making it to Lincoln no matter what. And he said, I'm leaving first thing Saturday morning after you know after my Friday night game, and I'm getting to Nebraska. So. Um, you know, I, I feel pretty good about where Nebraska is sitting with him, and and he's probably the top guy coming in this weekend. So um, now you, you also have Joshua Sanguinetti, a four-star cornerback out of Fort Lauderdale, Zay Flowers, a, a three-star wide receiver out of Fort Lauderdale. The two teammates there, they're making it in. Uh, Lloyd Summerall uh, out of uh, out of Lakeland, Florida, probably the it, best pass rusher they're in on right now. Yeah, high school pass rusher at least. He's six six, two hundred and ten pounds. He's that long, lengthy, explosive athlete that can come off the edge there you know his rivals you know we've got him listed as a defensive end but Nebraska sees him as an outside linebacker so you're still bringing in a good quality group of official visitors but what we thought was at nine and probably could even grow up to 15 or so yeah to 12 13 uh, is probably going to end up being closer to to six or seven well it's going to be a busy busy weekend and then the coaches will go on the road following the Iowa game uh, for three straight weeks so the recruiting season this is kind of the beginning of what's going to be a very very busy five weeks for this coaching staff to get to December 19th and uh, close off the early signing class so make sure you're on Husker online all throughout the weekend we'll get you ready uh, for the game and obviously um, everything after the game is in the recruiting uh, busy basketball time too so plenty of basketball coverage as Robin Washett will uh, keep you up to date on all of that Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.